This study is a challenge, a very real challenge, because you, you know, when you're going to teach any book, you you try to condense it down into what you want to talk about. But there's too much that I want to talk about, and we don't have the time. And I am one who has a tendency, I don't know if you've noticed or not, to kind of drag things out. Uh, So I don't want to do that with the study of this gospel. So we're going to take a little bit of a different approach. If we had the time, we would read everything. But I'm going to have to make the assumption that you're somewhat familiar with the text. And so we'll just go into what the worksheet is talking about and try to get through that in the first part of class and then come back and talk about things because there's a lot I want to talk about. So let's get started. John begins his gospel with his testimony to the blank of Jesus. I don't know what you would put in that blank, but I would put in the identity. He wants us to understand who Jesus is. So he's starting this gospel with his testimony to the identity of Jesus. And you're familiar with the word testimony. It's like a legal term. He is testifying. He is witnessing because he was a witness. We don't use the word witness much because the things we want to talk about, we haven't actually witnessed, but we believe by faith. But John was a witness. He would write about that in much more detail in his letters later. But he starts with his testimony to the identity of Jesus, calling him the blank of God. And what would you put in that blank? He is the word of God. Now, you don't actually figure that out until you get down to verse 14 where he says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, but that's another thing we need to talk about later. The word or the logos. If you look up the word logos in ancient philosophy, it stood for the the power that brought the universe into being, what makes everything understandable. To his own testimony, John will add that of John the blank. John the blank. And I would put baptizer. I used to put Baptist, but then I had Baptist people say, yeah, John was a Baptist, see? And that's not the point. There was no Baptist church. Uh, but he was a baptizer. That's, he baptized people, and that's why he was called the baptizer. So we've got John the Apostle offering his testimony, and he says, now I want you to also have the testimony of John the baptizer, the one who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. So that's what we get in chapter 1, the testimony of these two great men of God. Number 2, what are some of the things these men said of Jesus? What do you see after the question? A whole bunch of lines. So I'm asking you, if you'll just kind of scan down through the first chapter, what are some of the things that... John the Apostle and John the Baptist said about Jesus. Okay, he's the Lamb of God. John the Baptist called him the Lamb of God twice, or at least John the Apostle reports that John called him that twice. He probably called him that a lot more times, but in the, in the record of John's Gospel, he says it twice. What else did he say about Jesus, or they say about Jesus? There's a ton of stuff. You could almost just... Close your eyes and put your finger on the first chapter and open your eyes and read what you put your finger on and that'll be something about Jesus. 
What's that? He's the true light. The true light. He was the life, and that life was the light of men. The true light. What's that? The Messiah. What does the word Messiah mean? Anointed of God. What Greek word is its equivalent? Christ. Christ and Messiah. Those two words mean the same thing. Christ is Greek. Messiah is Hebrew. They both mean anointed of God. And that's part of what John is, is testifying to, that Jesus is the anointed one of God. What else? Son of God as well? Okay, he was the word. He became flesh. He, or the word became flesh. The living word. Yes, Don? He was God. That's an extremely important point. The word was with God, but the word was God. The same quality of divinity as the Father, same quality of divinity as the Spirit. Jesus is one with them. What else? I'm sorry? Rabbi, a teacher. They called him rabbi, called him teacher. That was not uh, a title or a term that they threw around lightly. All you have to do is just, just scan down. You'll just keep seeing thing after thing after thing. Look at verse 18. just wanted to point this one out, and I, I know what I'm doing. I'm taking too much time to answer this question, aren't I? But look at verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father has done what? He has explained him. John the Apostle is saying that this word of God who's come in the flesh explains God to us. What did Jesus say when, or what will he say later in John's gospel when he's asked about, show us the Father? Exactly. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he, John is saying right off the bat, this Jesus, this word of God, this word come in the flesh has explained the Father to us. If you think about that, that is weighty. Everything you know about Jesus, you know about the Father. His love, his compassion, his patience, his endurance, also his justice, his righteousness. Everything about him is a reflection of the Father. Takes away the sins of the world. John would say that. All right, I'm sorry? Yes. If you believe in him, you're given the right to become a child of God. It just goes on and on and on. It's only one chapter, but it's just so packed full of these things about Jesus. And this is John's testimony. And the reason he's giving us this testimony is so we will come to believe that Jesus is who John says he is. Number three, John concludes, concludes the gospel that is, saying that he has written about the blank Jesus performed. <clears throat> and for this, you need to go to chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. I'm kind of cheating. I should have given you that right off the bat. That should have been right after number 3, John 20, 30 to 31. But this is towards the close. There's only one more chapter to go as we define chapters. After this statement, and John concludes the gospel saying that what he's written about the blank of Jesus or the blank that Jesus performed, 
Signs. Signs. What is a sign? You know what a sign is. You're going on down the freeway and, and they, they keep, they're just all along the way. Signs. What do signs tell us? Okay, they give us direction. They give us information. You're, you're on a trip. You got kids in the car. We're hungry. We want to eat. Don't ask me how I know this. And you say, okay, start looking for, give them an assignment. Start looking for signs that tell you where you want to eat. And they'll say, oh, there's McDonald's. Everybody wants McDonald's, except the parents. So you look for the sign, and the sign directs you. Uh, 20 miles, exit number, whatever. Turn to the left, and, and there you have it. There's information. The signs that Jesus performed also were indicating information. They were indicating that he was the son of God. And when, you get to, when we get to chapter 3, if we ever get to chapter 3, uh, Nicodemus will make that statement clear. Nobody could do the things you do unless God was with him. Billy? I told them that they had seen the Lord. Thomas said, I won't believe it's the Lord unless I see the signs of his scars. His, uh, his hands, nails, hand scars, his feet scars. And then he said, my Lord, my, my God. Right. When he saw that evidence, that indicated to him what the truth was, and he believed it. <clears throat> Others saw it and still didn't believe it. Thomas was a believer. The Son of God, the same as God, and he was the light of the world. But, yeah. you know, yeah. most people are not smart enough to believe Well... <laughs> See, there's another question right there. It's a real philosophical question. Is it that they're not smart enough or that they are not willing to see it? John, how did, not John, but Peter, how did Peter put it in in 2 Peter? He said, willingly ignorant. Willingly ignorant of the things God has done that show who he is. And another guy comes along and says, you know what that means? That means dumb on purpose. Now, that's pretty good because it's true, dumb on purpose. I don't want to see this. I don't want to know this. And you've seen it on TV, especially in, in comedies where people, somebody's going to tell them something. They go, blah, 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 blah. All, the only reason they do that is so they don't hear what they're about to be told that they don't want to hear. And <laughs> chapter 3, right, right after Jesus says, or, or it's reported in chapter 3, that what we read in chapter 3, verse 16, God so loved the world, the, the passage everybody knows, thankfully. Right after that, he was going to say, and there's the judgment that light has come into the world and men rejected the light. That's Jesus is the dividing line in so many ways. Self-acknowledges that this is my beloved son. Yes. That's proof of right there. You can't get any higher than God saying this is who he is. Exactly. And other gospel writers testify to that event. Have we finished number three? John concludes saying that what he has written about the signs Jesus performed so that the reader may blank that Jesus is the Christ. Believe, so that the reader might believe. That's the whole point of this gospel. So the people will believe that Jesus is the Christ. 
and come to have blank in his name. Excuse me, life. Life in his name. He also adds, this is in chapter 21, that there were blank, blank Jesus did that were left out. John did not write about them. There were many things Jesus did that he did not write about. And he says he did not believe that the world would contain him if he wrote about everything that Jesus did. Number four, John the baptizer is recorded blank as saying of Jesus, he blank before me. And the key to these two blanks is 115 and 130. So what would you put in the first blank? If, if it's 15 and 30, both places, he, he's recorded twice. Yes. He existed before me, and he said it twice. Now, I don't know if he said it twice or said it 20 times, but John the Apostle, when he wrote out this gospel, the Spirit said, I want you to put that twice, that Jesus existed. John said Jesus existed before him. By the way, uh, in worldly terms, time terms, who was the oldest between Jesus and John? John was the older by how much? By about six months. And they were cousins. John was conceived first and then Jesus. And you may remember when, when Mary came to visit Elizabeth, Elizabeth being the mother of John the baptizer, what happened when Mary came into the room? John the Baptist in the womb, six months gestation, would do what? Did somersaults, yeah. He, he leaped in the womb because he was just a clump of cells. Yeah. What's that? Yes. There's a lot of things, you read this stuff and you go, wait a minute, now I, I thought this, because you, you have to have some kind of a preconceived notion about all of it. Everything's conceptual and when we, we were made to do that, but then when you read something, you have to change your concept because you find out, oh, it's not like I thought it was. There's just a lot to that. Later on when we get to the second chapter and, and Jesus, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but Jesus is going to turn the water to wine. Well, who prompts him to turn the water to wine? His mama does. Now, how did she know that he could do something like that? Well, hey, they don't, they don't have enough wine. They need about 150 gallons. Jesus, what are you going to do? Well, I'll run down here to Walmart. I don't think they have 150 gallons of wine. Anyway. Okay. There were, there were things that she pondered in her heart even before he was born. And who knows what she witnessed when he was growing up. We'll get to that later, though, Lord willing. All right, number four. Uh, we haven't finished it. John the baptizer is recorded twice as saying of Jesus, he existed before me. So he's recorded twice as saying of Jesus, he existed before me, and that he is the blank of God. 
he, he is the son of God, but what John was talking about was he is the lamb of God. Lamb of God. He is the son, but he's also the lamb. And when you say lamb, that's a whole different meaning. Who do you think the Jews would have thought of when John said lamb? Except for the Passover lamb. And Paul would write later to the church of Corinth that Jesus is our Passover. Number five, apparently, Nathaniel, this is in the end of chapter one, observed something about Jesus that blanked him of who he was. Convinced him. It convinced him. Jesus was talking to Nathaniel and said, I, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And without any detail being given to us, here's another place. I want one more verse. What, what's going on here? What did Jesus know that Nathaniel realized proved he was the son of God? And it doesn't say. The Holy Spirit did not inspire John to put that down there. But when he hears that, John says this, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Something took place there we do not know about that convinced Nathaniel that Jesus was, in fact, who he said he was. Now, to finish number five, Jesus said to him, because I saw you under the fig tree, do you blank? Believe. Do you believe? That's what this gospel is all about, helping people to believe. Then Jesus says, you will see blank, blank than these. Greater things, greater things, greater signs, greater indications. Whatever that sign was to Nathaniel that caused him to believe, Jesus says, oh, that's nothing. <laughs> You're going to see greater things than these. And then what did Jesus describe that he would see? You're going to see the heavens open and the angels ascending and descending. What in the world is that all about? What's that harken back to for you? Remember Jacob? Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, he laid down to take a nap, put a rock under his head. And we'll talk a little bit about that rock even in the sermon. I didn't realize these things were going to coincide, but there you have it. He, he slept and he had a dream of a ladder going up to heaven and the angels ascending and descending. And Jesus is essentially saying, you're going to see that I'm the ladder that connects heaven and earth. You want to get to the Father, you've got to do it through me. You want to go to heaven, I'm the only way. There is no one else. And so Jesus is telling Nathaniel these things. And, of course, all this is my, my interpretation of what he means. You might have your own. But if you want to be right, just accept mine. So it's fun to say that kind of stuff because I know you know who I am. What's that? Uh, yeah, see, that's why I say it here, because I can't say those things at home. So, <laughs> that's why Rob was asking me. Do I say that to Debbie? <laughs> Where are we here? Uh, number six, what does John identify as the blank sign that manifested Jesus, and Jesus is um, possessive, manifested Jesus something? And this is in chapter 2. You can see from the reference, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So, so what is the turning the water to wine called by John? He, he calls it the first sign. 
the first sign, which is interesting because to me, and maybe this is why John didn't elaborate on what happened between Jesus and Nathaniel, because to me, that's a sign. It was obviously a sign to Nathaniel, but then John records the turning of the water to wine, and he says, this is the first sign that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and this sign manifested his glory, his glory. Jesus had a glory And that's what he will talk about in chapter 17 when he's praying to the Father. What's he going to say to the Father? Father, I want want these guys to see the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the world. Think about that. The creator of the universe wants us to come be with him and his Father to see what they've got together. He wants to impress me. He wants to impress you. He wants us to see that. That, I marvel at that. That he's so interested in us that he wants us to be impressed with what we're going to see there. And I know we will be. So, uh, number six. Touched on this already. Who prompted Jesus to perform this sign? His mom. So, it, it, it you got to think. What in the world has she witnessed? Because how old is Jesus by this time? He's, he's 30 years old, about, at this point. So, in his 30 years of being her son, what has this woman seen? What has she witnessed? Yeah, she knew all that stuff. She hadn't, for, oh yeah, I forgot. Mary would never say that. <laughs> I forgot about Gabriel. Yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, having a child without being with a man. No, I, I don't think she's going to forget any of that. Somehow she knew she needed to to give her son a little nudge. And her son was God. <laughs> you talk about the power of a mom. Wow. Number seven, when Jesus cleanses the temple. This is uh latter part of chapter two. What question did the Jews ask him? Look at verse 18. All right, here's a guy cleansing the temple. And and that whole thing is fascinating to me, that Jesus could plaid a scourge and go in there and drive out the animals and the money changers, overturn their tables, because the temple had guards Those guards were commissioned to protect the temple. And I don't know what it was that kept those guards from coming and taking Jesus into custody when he was behaving like this. But what's recorded in the text here is his disciples remembering that it said of him, the zeal of your house has eaten me up. And so Jesus is cleansing the temple and nobody is stopping him. And maybe one of the reasons nobody stopped him, maybe one of the reasons, this is just me thinking out loud, is that everybody knew that was wrong in the first place. People had to know this is not right. 
who knows if some of those guards came in there from day to day and they just hated that business of protecting those stinking money changers because they had to offer sacrifices too and they knew what thieves and cutthroats those guys were. So maybe they thought, wow, all right, somebody's finally got the guts to do it. Pardon the expression. And nobody said, hey, thanks, we really appreciate what you've done here. They were asking for a sign. What sign do you give us to show that you've got the authority to do this? They should have been coming in, man, this is great. We've needed to have this kind of house cleaner for years. But instead, they're asking for what? A sign. Because they knew to look for signs. They were looking for signs, and Jesus was providing them with the signs. And what did Jesus answer? Right. What's he talking about? Temple that took 40 years, you're going to raise for three days? That would be mind blowing to anybody. Sure. But he's speaking about the temple of his body. He was already talking about his body being a temple, and that's what he says our bodies are. He'll say that through his apostle to the church at Corinth, but we are temples of God. Jesus said, You destroy this body, and three days later I'll raise it up. And then. John records that when the disciples remembered his response to the Jews' question, something happened. They believed. Now, now think about what he's saying. If they're disciples, what is a given? That, that they believe in Jesus. But they see this. They re- Wow, he said that and... Uh, Look, it came true three years later. And they believed. It, it's like, <clears throat> you and I have faith. But sometimes we see something, we understand something that makes us believe even more. And I think that's what John is talking about here. You've got faith, but this is like a surge. This is like a turbocharger that just shoots it forward even more. They believed. Yeah, they believed to start with, but they really believed now. Just like Thomas. Thomas said, okay, unless I see the prints of the nails in his hand and that hole in his side, I'm not going to believe. And then he sees it, and what's he say? My Lord and my God. That's in this gospel as well. Number eight. Why did many come to believe in Jesus during the feast of the Passover? I didn't write down... The, the verse, but it's the last verse, uh, or almost the last verse, verse 23 in chapter 2. Okay, they saw the miracles, they saw the signs which he was doing. Some translations will have miracles, some translations will have wonders, some translations will have signs. But be advised, the word, there's a, there's a different word for each one, and Signs are miracles normally. And so a lot of translators, when they saw this word, they just put miracle or a wonder. But, but the word means sign. It is a miracle, yes. It is a wonder, yes. But it's, an, it's a wonder or a miracle that indicates something. It's not just thrown out there for people's entertainment or to accomplish something good like healing somebody who is blind or lame or deaf. It does that. In many cases, 
But the point of it is, this is an indication that this is the Son of God. He's the one who has come, and we have seen his glory. And if you go back to chapter 1, this is the time, by the way, we can go back and talk about some of these things. This is a passage. Where's Preston? Preston in here this morning? He, he was taken with uh, verse 16 of chapter 1. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. I was, I was telling Brian, went to a steakhouse last week. And what a, he, he's, he's put us onto this place. And so we went, Debbie and I went and got a steak. And you know, it's one thing when they bring that platter out and it's hot and steamy and there's a big old steak on there. Well, decent sized steak on there. <laughs> and if the guy came out and set that platter down, and then he come back and, he, and he's got these tongs and he reaches back to another plate and gets another steak and lays that steak on there. Two steaks. Oh, happy man. And if you go back and get another steak and put that on there, it's like... Whoa, this is like unbelievable. I'm in heaven. John is saying, Moses gave us the law. It's, It's as if he's saying, we know how hard it's been to keep the law and we can't keep the law. But Jesus has come. And he showed us grace on grace. What a relief. Right here in the beginning of this gospel, you you see there's a message of relief, a message of hope. You need to read about the signs that Jesus did so you can come to faith that he's the son of God. The word come in the flesh and you can believe in him and in believing you can have what? You can have life. This is about life. Life and death. With faith in Jesus you have life. Jesus will later say in this gospel, except you believe that I'm he, what's going to happen? You will die in your sins. Wow, that's pretty drastic. But there's the dividing line. The dividing line between eternal life and eternal death is Jesus Christ. Where do you stand with regard to faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God? That's essentially the question that this gospel is asking throughout. All right, what do you want to talk about? What have, what have we read over, read through that you want to come back and look at some more? Got a little bit of time here at the end. Because I got things I like to talk about. I want to go to the signs. Okay. Today, you know, somebody prays, God, give me a sign. Mm-hmm. Does that happen? Do we really get a sign, or is it just something that we pray for something that does happen? But, but there's no. Well, maybe one question we should ask about that is, is God still working in the world? we, We would all agree, I believe, that God is still working in the world, but is he working through the miraculous? I can't testify to that because I haven't seen it. I know people have, but I believe what the word leads us to see is that this testimony written down on the page This gospel that's been spoken throughout the world and is continually spoken, this is now our testimony. This is the witness. Uh, I find it, I don't necessarily want to deny when somebody says, I saw a miracle. Well, okay, I'm not going to deny that. But what's more important than the miracle? 
More important than the miracle is believing what the book says. When, and I know we're, we're getting a little bit out of John's gospel, but if, if you go to 2 Thessalonians, there's kind of a, a little clue here to what possibilities there may be. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is talking about the, the lawless one, and he doesn't necessarily identify him, but he says this, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the second letter that he writes to the church at Thessalonica, in chapter 2, and verse 8, then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all what? With all power and signs and false wonders, and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. So are there, is it possible, perhaps I should ask, that there will be supernatural things happen even that would lead people astray? Paul seems to be writing through the Spirit that this is what's going to happen with regard to this this lawless one. But what is the anchor? What is the standard The anchor and the standard is what's revealed to us in the Gospels, what's revealed to us in the Word. This Word reveals to us who Jesus is. And it's said in chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus has explained the Father. When you read about Him, you see about God. You don't need any more wonders. You don't need any more miracles. John did not conclude his Gospel, and I probably should have made this point. He said, I'm telling you these signs so that you'll what? So that you'll believe that Jesus is the Christ. And he does not add to that. If you keep watching, you're going to see signs in your lifetime that his followers will work. They'll be doing miracles all over the place. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm writing these down so you can read about them and you can come to faith. Yes. Psalms 19 tells us that the heavens declare and the whole earth, if you if you have your eyes open, you cannot but believe. And I think sometimes our prayer when we ask for a sign, you know, is more of a God open my eyes so I see what you have done. Yes. Uh, Bob, for those of you who may not be able to hear, is talking about the fact that David said the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. So if, if you just open your eyes to the world, you can see that there's a God. Paul will write the same thing in Romans chapter 1. He'll say, those who say there is no God are without excuse, because by the creation they can see his, his power and his Godhead. But this knowledge of Jesus, that's more specific. Jesus said something in the Sermon on the Mount And he said it in three different ways. He said, if you seek, what's going to happen? You'll find, if you seek, seek what? You seek out God. That's what Paul would would say again on on Mars Hill, talking about us groping after God that we might find him. And he said, he's not far away. He lives 
among us. We, we live and breathe in him. But Jesus also said, if you knock, what's going to happen? It'll be open to you. And if you ask, it'll be given to you. So, so those who are looking at the world, and say, it's got to be a God. And if there is a God, I, I need to know who he is. And they will seek him out. Some will go, oh, there's got to be a God, but man, if I find out who he is, he's probably going to tell me things I don't want to hear. So I think I'll just be an atheist. <laughs> Tom? I think alarming things about this Second Thessalonians, you know, we always talk about how God can't be in the presence of sin, how he doesn't let bad things happen to good people, all this kind of stuff. But right here it tells us that if you are, you know, if you are believing these things, and you're not studying the Bible, he's going to send you a delusion to uh, make you believe those false teachings. If I heard all of that, you're saying that those who are committed to finding the truth will be safeguarded from the delusion and the lie. Yes. And you're believing those other miracles, you know, things that people are saying are happening and things like that that aren't in the Bible uh, or not, you know, in the Word, then he's going to send you delusion and, and allow you to believe that stuff and let you go down your path. Right. And that's, and, you know, that's a scary thought that you don't ever want to get distracted from what's here. It's kind of like, and maybe I shouldn't get into this because this, this will almost sound like I'm getting political. But when people say they hate America, I want to say, all right, well, let's put you on a plane. Pick a country. Where do you want us to take you? We'll drop you off. Let us pick a country. We'll take you someplace that will make you appreciate America. So, yeah, you, you don't love the truth. And I'm not saying America is total truth. I'm just saying we need to open our eyes to the blessings there are around us. And if we've got the blessing of truth being in front of us, what could be more important to life than truth? Truth. You can, you can find lies that will make you feel good, but they will lead to bad things all the time. It's just as simple as hearing a noise in your car. Oh, there's a noise. Oh, you tell yourself what? That's nothing. It'll go away. And then 11.30 p.m. some night, you're out on, what's that loop that goes out from Hera? That's about as far out as you can get in the realm of Oklahoma City, and, and you're out there in, in the dark, and your car doesn't work anymore. Man, I should have listened to that noise. There are indications of truth all the time, and we need to be paying attention to those. What else? Still looking for the sign. Right. Now, here's the thing about believing in Jesus. When you accept the signs, you, oh, he is the son of God. I need to put my faith in him. I need to do what he said and seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. When you do that, you, you still have questions about the day-to-day -day things of life. But if you have a, uh, a confidence that God is with you in and through all of life's ins and outs from day-to-day... It's 
such a reassuring and peace-giving faith is, is what it is. And you don't find yourself like so many people in the world going, well, okay, I've I've tried this for a while, and I don't know if this is working out because I still have problems in life. Uh, Maybe I'll go over here. It's like when Jesus says in the fourth chapter of this gospel, he's talking to that woman at the well, and what's he tell her about the water he has to offer? He says, if I give you this water, you won't thirst again. Man, that's pretty good water. What's he mean by that? We'll find out in a couple of weeks. Sign, we have a sign. We have a sign. We have a sign. Signs give directions. What does this do? And I, I want you to think about that. The times in which we are living for learning the truth are the best times you could ever have lived in. There is no time better than now for learning what the truth is. You've got a Bible in every different translation you can imagine. When I want to look up a verse and see how it's translated, I'll go to this website called Bible Hub. All you have to do is type in the verse, say Genesis 1-1, type that in, and then when the Google thing comes up, start looking for Bible Hub, and you go to Bible Hub, and it will immediately pull up a page that will give you that verse in 27 or 28 translations. And if you go to the bottom of that list... You can click on it, and it'll give you like 56 total translations. So you can see how that text is rendered. And you go below that, and it will take you either to the Greek or the Hebrew or the Aramaic so you can see what the original words are and whether or not it ought to be translated the way it is. And, <laughs> yeah, I know, it, it just keeps going. But, but what I'm saying is... <clears throat> You want to learn the truth, you can learn the truth. You want to figure out some details, and don't get too wrapped up in the details, but pay attention to the details. He who is faithful in little will be faithful in much, Jesus will say. But but don't be a hair splitter either. Have, Have some balance there. But man, seek out the truth. Truth is everything. And I I think our, our time is gone. Anybody got anything as we close? All right, Lord willing, we'll come back next week. How about that? We sort of kind of made it through two chapters today. Good job. All right. That's all I need to keep going.